This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Big shout out, Maple Grove, Elk River, Spring Lake Park, and Emmanuel at home. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, somebody. I think when we get back together, we're reminded we're not alone. There's power in gathering together. I want to double dog dare all the friends that are scared of getting back together as a church. Do it, whether it's house to house or be in the house where we have our physical locations. We need each other. Something powerful happens as we lift up the name of Jesus and we know that he's in our midst. And I want to encourage you to not shrink back in fear in this hour. This is our finest hour. It's time to step up and be the church. Amen? And uh, we can do what we can do. We, we don't need to whine about what we can't do. We need to do what God's called us to do, and we can do it right now in the house of God. At the end of the service today, we're going to have communion. And especially for Emmanuel at home, I want to encourage you to get ready. We're going to have communion cups in each of our locations. But you got to prepare it yourself, so get it ready for the end of the sermon here today. And we'll talk about it. We're in week number two of a series we're calling New Future. I've been challenging the church, and I believe it's really a God-birthed, uh, series for us that we are in a new future, meaning you didn't envision this August being like this August. And uh, you didn't envision that September and October and November would look like it's now looking in 2020. But the good news is that nothing has surprised God, and he's given us plenty in his word to draw from that we don't need to be afraid. We just need to study the word, be encouraged to follow the principles of the word, and let the living word be in us because we can bravely face our new future. And so I know that God has many things for us, and of course we're looking at, in particular, as I talked about last week, if you missed it, go on uh, our app or go on our website and you can watch that message or listen to it on a podcast, but I want to encourage you, we're looking at a period of Israel's story, an actual uh, moment in history, historical fact, this, this happened. Israel actually had been sent into exile as a result of her disobedience of God. As a nation, they no longer followed God's practices, and the people of God weren't doing what God told them to do, and so they were sent into exile. They were taken over by another nation, and their young generations were sent and, and grew up in a foreign land in Babylon. And then uh, there were multiple empires that took over, and we're looking at who God raised up during that period of time to send the people of Israel back and to restore Israel. Because listen, God doesn't end his story by destruction. There's always a new story beginning. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, there's still another chapter in my book. There is still another chapter in my book. There is. There's something coming. And we've been looking, last week we looked at Ezra and Haggai and Nehemiah, three books in the Old Testament that we're going to draw from that we can find hope from in this day and this hour as we shape our new future. And uh, to set this up today, uh, I want to I show you a real-life example of a Nehemiah-type story. And, uh, and it's in Minneapolis. And Pastor Daryl Geddes, pastor of Christ Church International, became a big part of our Emmanuel relationship this spring as things changed at the end of May and fires broke out through the city of Minneapolis. I want you to watch 
this interview I did with him this week. Hey everybody, we're here with Pastor Daryl Geddes, pastor of Christ Church International. Yes. And uh, this is an historic church here in the city of Minneapolis. In fact, how long has it been here? Uh, matter of fact, next year, this church will be 100 years of age. Wow, 100 years old. 100 years old. That yep. makes Emmanuel look like a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this year, mm -hmm. you came into a whole different season. Yes. And of course, this church being on Lake Street, um, the epicenter of some of the worst damage yeah. to buildings and yeah. nighttime stuff where mm -hmm. things were taking over the, the, the neighborhood. Um, talk about the destruction and what it made you feel mm -hmm. as a pastor yeah. as you looked at your city. Yeah, A lot of emotions welled up in me that that I, I really had a difficult time dealing with. It, it, it was overwhelming to, to drive in to this community that I love, that I've invested myself in, that we've invested ourselves in for the last 18 years, and to see, you know, the Target destroyed, the Cub destroyed, the Aldi's destroyed, you know, buildings burnt to the ground, smoke still billowing up, fires still going. Fires were raging right down here on Chicago and Lake, and, and it just, it overwhelmed me, to be honest. And the thing that grabbed me is how can we respond at this most desperate time uh, when people's emotions are ruling their minds, how do we respond as a church? And, and that was my prayer. I began to pray, Lord, show me how to respond to this. God gave you some stuff to do, He right? did, he and, did, uh, he did. So he gave you vision. And that vision that he gave you mm -hmm was to meet the needs of people. Yeah. Why, how did you do that? And how did that vision come together? Yeah. We were driving through the community and as we were riding through, we noticed that all of the places, even the mom and pop shops were gone. Everything was gone. And we realized uh, immediately that there was gonna be food insecurity. Uh, and we knew that one of the things that were, was gonna be a great felt need in this community was the need for just basic necessities, basic necessities. And so we determined right then, you know, I said, we need to become a food hub. I said that to my wife mm. as we're driving in the car. We need to become a food hub for the south side of Minneapolis. And then you called. <laughs> And you called and said, and it, it was just so beautiful because after we had had this epiphany, you called and said, what can we do? You guys sprung into action mm. the next day. Right. <laughs> what are three van loads full of food? Uh, and that started the process. That started the process. And some other churches have, have come along and partnered with us, but Emmanuel started the ball rolling. Now, we're coming up to an end of that first part of the vision. Yes. Because now grocery stores are kind of popping up. Yep, yep. People's needs are getting met. Yep. The church's mission is not over. Not over. Not and over. you're still burdened by the city and the yes. needs around, and I know you're praying. Yes. What do you see in the future? This is just so amazing. I've been saying this over and over again to people that God brings beauty out of ashes. They burnt Lake Street down. They burn it down. You know, but, but out of the ashes of the violence and, and, the, and the, the fire, God is bringing beauty out of it. And, and we don't see this as the end, 
but the beginning. Mm. Uh, we're, we're bringing the chapter of food distribution to a close, but we're opening up a new chapter. Mm. I, I don't understand God's time, yes. but it's perfect. That's right. It's perfect. And he's going to bring beauty out of the ashes, and we're going to see this church become an integral part of this community. So when people walk by, they say, that's Christ Church. That's good. That's Christ Church. Yes, yes. They're touching our community, one family, yes. one life at a time. Yes, yes, yes. And I believe that we're not the only church, but God has a bigger picture to be a part of the connection to CCI. Amen. And, uh, thank Amen. you, Pastor, for all that you've done, and we're excited about the future. So are we. What a powerful story of how God works. You see, God worked, there's destruction around. And uh, a pastor who said, what do I do about this? And talked to the Lord about it. And God gave vision. But God has resources outside of that individual and that church. And we got to be a part of it, as well as other churches in the Twin Cities. But the story's not over. There's ongoing vision. And I believe the best is still yet to come for Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I absolutely refuse to believe that because there's bad news all the time, no, nothing good is going to happen. In fact, the title of my message today is How to Turn Bad News into Good News. How to Turn Bad News into Good News. I want you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to look at the, the story of Nehemiah and how it parallels just what we saw with Pastor Geddes, where he was burdened by something, he talked to the Lord about it, and God gave him a plan. And I believe that God wants to do the same type of things inside of your heart and your life as mine. Nehemiah chapter 1, it says this. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, and Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how, about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. What we have is a leader who has at the pinnacle of his professional career. He grew up outside of his ancestral home. But he was still tied to the, the care and the concerns of the ancient land. He still cared about Jerusalem and cared about Israel, even though he grew up in a foreign land. And he cared about it so much so that God was about to do something through Nehemiah's life. And uh, as he's caring, he hears something. He hears something that's not good news. In fact, his brother comes along with some other people, and he asks what they saw when they went to his hometown. Look at verse 3 again. It said, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. What they described was a city, and in those days, uh, walls protected the city. The gates protected the cities. Gates were the place where people would walk through for commerce. The economy had shrunk. The courage of the people, the morale of the city was down. It was exactly what you see in Proverbs 29, 18, where it said, where there is no vision, the people perish. The people perish. That word perish means to give up or to lose heart. 
In other words, because of what was going on in the city around them, people were losing heart. They didn't even try to live out their purpose, their destiny on their life. And I would say that in this day and age, all of us are facing similar type of circumstances. You see the news around you. Perhaps you've seen things on the news or things on your social media uh, timeline, news stories about how bad things are in different parts of the world and different parts of the communities around you. Maybe perhaps in Minnesota or you hear about the news of what's happening with schools and and mask mandates and other kind of things, and you might be tempted to lose heart. You might be tempted to lose vision. And people without a picture of a purpose for what they're on the earth to do, give up. They don't even try anymore. It's like a little boy who doesn't yet know that girls matter. And so mom is trying to get the little boy to take a shower. Any moms know what I'm talking about? Just take a shower, please. You're starting to stink. Until the day the little boy begins to notice the girls and he's taking three showers a day. Because the vision light bulb went off, he begins to see the world through a different lens. Well, friends, I want you to know the bad news around us, the pandemic has thrust the whole world into disruption and the economy has been disrupted, the social distancing measures, the political turmoil, the fear, and the conspiracies. Hello, there's conspiracies everywhere that are going on. I I love what Mark Twain said about uh, this kind of stuff. He said this back in the 1800s. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Isn't that true? I mean, it's coming at us fast, and we don't even know what we can do about it. And there's so many news conspiracies and shared and going viral and creating fear and anger and anxiety and hopelessness. Governments and political and social operatives are literally baiting the general population and manipulating innocent people into acting on fear. Christians have consistently been targeted and manipulated by information that is not from Jesus. But that isn't the only news I'm talking about today. I want you to consider when it comes to bad news, what do you do when you hear you lost your job? What do you do when you hear a loved one has an incurable disease? Or when your kids can't go back to school and you have to figure out how to do online this fall? I'm not even talking about made up stuff, am I? What do you do when you don't know who you can trust? Nehemiah hears this good news, and he wants to hear good news, but he gets bad news. And the bad news could go in him and it could destroy him. But I want you to know that God wanted to use Nehemiah, so how he handled the news determined whether or not there would be good news down the road. And just like that for you and I, if we handle the news correctly, we will be used of God for, for his vision to restore our land. I want you to look at what Nehemiah did when he heard the bad news. The first thing that he did is he felt the emotion. Verse 4. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned. He felt it. Did you know it's okay to not be Okay. I think emotions are real. God gives it to us when we're faced with stuff. There's the moments of those emotions. In fact, in the text there, that word for wept was like what we would now call ugly cry. (laughs) Anybody ever ugly cry before? It's just like, it's all over the place, right? I don't like this. This hurts. 
And the Bible says that there's a season for everything, Ecclesiastes 3, 4, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Acknowledging what bothers you is the first step to turning bad news into good, a burden into vision. It's okay to feel it. I don't care what it is. If things bother you, acknowledge the emotion of it, okay? It's an okay thing. The feeling is the beginning of healing. You can feel it. But I want you to also notice what he did next. Number two, the next thing he did is he prayed about the news that bothered him. He prayed about the news that bothered him. Look at verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to who? The God of heaven. Then I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my tweet. Listen to my Facebook post. I don't think God listens to those things, by the way. He says, listen to my what? My prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. He prays, and listen, godly leaders pray before they talk. Church, hear me. Godly leaders pray before they do anything. We have to pray. They don't retweet, share, put on blast, whine, become a victim, or shift the blame. They take it to the Lord. This is where when you feel, what you do with your feelings matters when it comes to vision. If you're going to have a good new future, you better deal with this one aspect. What you do with it. Because if it goes the wrong way, you actually are creating problems for yourself. Godly leaders pray before they talk. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is speaking to the church. And he says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is what? Faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. What he's describing there is, if you go the right route, he'll give you the way out. And if not, in the middle of your disappointment, disappointment makes us vulnerable in unique ways. And Satan will tempt us in our moments of disappointment with options for dealing with the pain the wrong way and at the wrong moment. Right at the moment when we're frustrated, we're tempted to do the wrong thing with what we feel. We could go to the bottle and try to medicate it. We could share the wrong thing and become a gossip or a slanderer, which the Bible calls sin, and you won't get into heaven if you're doing that. You could begin to to misuse your place or lose your sense of witness of Jesus Christ to the community around you that needs Jesus. And right in the moment of your emotion, that's when the enemy will slip in and say, why don't you do this? Why don't you get them back? Why don't you do this? Why don't you become jealous? Why don't you become angry? Why don't you let that anger well up inside of you and then blow up the rest of the church or shout people out? Hello. That's when he goes, did God really say not to do that? Did God really say, just like with Adam and Eve where Satan slithered up to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say don't eat from this tree? And this, at the moment of disappointment or in our emotions that we are tempted the most. 
And I want you to know it's important for us to, to determine what we're going to do with our emotions. What are you going to do with your feelings? Where are your emotions leading you? Your way of escape is critical to your future. And by the way, parents, you need to lead well in this regard. Listen, our kids, no matter what their age is, I've got a grandson now. Come on, somebody. But my emotions are being watched. And they become a part of the people that God has called me to raise. Train up a child in the way they should go, and what? When they're old, they won't depart from it. It is my responsibility to guard my tongue, my emotions, and my actions because there's little people watching me. And I have to be determined that I'm going to guard what is going on there. Sin is looking to any other source than God. So whatever we do with our emotion, we're to bring it to God. Even religious teachers can sound good and lead people astray. During this pandemic, people are being offered all kinds of religious alternatives that sound good and provide insight that seems so profound. But listen, I'm just telling you right now, some of it is leading the church astray. Some of it is causing the church to become critics of other Christians. Some of it is causing us to live in fear. And I want you to know if the result of taking the advice of those, vice, those voices leads you away from spiritual community or the covering of spiritual leadership, you are in danger. If they're not a shepherd of the flock, you are in danger. I just will tell you right now, in my, in my moment of pastoring, this year's been quite the journey. It's just been, I'll be honest, it's been, it's just been bizarre. How's the church going, Pastor Nate? I think it's going good. I don't see everybody. I don't know what's going on in their lives. I don't know if they're getting together for connect groups and, and still living out the Redwood faith we talk about. I, I don't know if they're, they're, the, the, the state of their faith is strong. I don't know what's going on. And then on top of that, right along the way, as government rules have changed and society has changed and everything else throughout this year, there's lots of expectations of pastors of what we're supposed to talk about. And I'm thinking, I just want the church to rise up and be the church during this hour. I want us praying for the sick and seeing them healed. And I'm not talking about the pastor in the pulpit being the one that's laying the hands on the sick. I'm talking about the body of Christ being the body of Christ. In my heart, I want to see the church be a group of people that aren't addicted to theater religion. In order for them to have faith, where they have to have a show on a platform and good enough music and a comfortable experience in order to have real faith on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Ah, I want a church, I dream in my heart of a church that isn't weak, that isn't whining, that is all upset because I gotta wear a mask to church. Try that out with your sisters and brothers in closed access countries where it's illegal to be a Christian and they hover in some little apartment where uh, they're under the fear of death and the threat of death if they even worship at all. Compare your little inconveniences against our brothers and sisters who are living on the edge. Friends, I want a church that doesn't whine over little things. And meantime, 
sense I'm speaking my mind this morning. I'm tired, to be honest, of people doing their little sub post on social media about pastors who won't stand up against masks. Let me talk to you. When I think of what faith is and real faith is, faith does not rely on external things. I should be able to worship with a mask or without a mask and have my faith be unchanged. A, fa- a mask is just temporary. It's going to be come and go. Well, you don't know the government and it could lead to end time stuff and this is just one more step of getting down the track. I've heard, I've read every, uh, every kind of post. People are sending me videos. You don't need to send me videos anymore. I'm tired of them. Everybody's all concerned about what's happening out there and not looking in here. What's going on in your faith? You're more full of fear about where things are going and you're mad at people and calling pastors full of fear because they're having their churches wear a mask. Who's got more fear, me or you? I'm not worried about that, this is gonna pass. But friends, I'm not going to jail over masks. Okay, now if they tell me I can't preach the word of God, sign me up. But this is so petty and so little and meanwhile we're losing the witness to the people God has called us to reach. Ah! I want a church where we're full of compassion and we notice the needs of our city around us. We notice that marriages are breaking up during the quarantine. Where we're stepping into the gap and taking care of people that are lonely and facing depression because it's been the loneliest season of their life. Where we're not so consumed with our own selfish needs that we're stepping out and we're the church that meets the needs of the people around us. Can I get a church like that, Emmanuel? Can I get a church that's focusing on praying and worshiping and serving and they're not li- living out of fear? Revelation 12, 11, they overcame the enemy. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They weren't afraid of dying. I'm tired of being afraid of, of things around us that are temporary. I want to live for the eternal. Come on, church. I want to live for the eternal. Hear me. This is a shepherd that loves you. The danger is, is that many voices out there, people can get on, and I hear, yeah, I went to five churches on Sunday. Pastor, you had a good message too. I'm like, that's great. There's some great preaching out there, and there's some great resources out there. But all those people that don't, aren't a part of our church, they're not shepherds for you. When I think of you, I'm thinking of what's going on in your family. I'm thinking about the state of your soul, the purpose that God put you on the planet. I'll give an account for you before the Lord someday. So don't be throwing the person that isn't a shepherd for your soul, their prophecy at me anymore. I'm going to pray and read the word of God and stay under authority, but I'm not going to take my directions from some pastor in Kentucky or somebody on the other side of the world that's got the newest revelation about what's coming. It doesn't take uh, somebody full of the spirit to understand that between now and November, it's going to be rough in America. It doesn't take a brain scientist, a brain surgeon to do that. Listen, we know those things are coming. What the church is to be focusing on is the eternal word of God, loving the world God has called us in, getting on our face, interceding for God to move, and submitting to the authorities that God has given us. Ah! 
If you're wondering what I'm thinking, you came to church and got what I'm thinking about. I want you to catch what Nehemiah does. He takes those worries, and by the way, I hate wearing masks. I don't like the inconveniences. But what I do with my worries is important. I take them to the Lord. And when I begin to pray, I don't base my prayers on my own righteousness or how I feel at the moment. I remind God of his promises. He's true. He won't stop. His faithful love will endure to the end of time. And I remind him of those things. Look at what Nehemiah prays. He says this to the Lord in verse 8. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Nehemiah is reminding God of this. And he says, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In other words, God is going to give him a vision for what he can do about it. Instead of whining about what he can't do. He's leaning into what he can do. And as he leans into that, he begins to talk to the Lord about it. And the bottom line is this. Action without prayer is dangerous. Your emotions can lead you to destroy the things that God wants us to protect. Angry Christians can destroy the witness of Jesus to the world who needs a Savior now more than ever. And relationships can be destroyed because we impulsively say Or post in anger, unintentionally burning a bridge to people who we need to reach. We need to go to God in prayer before we speak or act. Jesus said it this way, how you're supposed to deal with those things which frustrate you. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is what? Light. Let me give you one warning and before we move to number three. If you don't release the burden, you become the burden to others. If you don't release the burden, you become the burden to others. The third thing that Nehemiah did, and I'm almost done preaching, is release the burden and get ready to receive God's new vision. There's something in this when we're releasing something to God. It's in his hands. Get ready for something new to start. You ever been in a dry season, a, a, a season where it feels like overwhelming? And you don't think anything's going to change? You've lost that sense of vision? When you put yourself in humility before the Lord, God begins to drop new vision, a new picture on your heart of something new. Look what happens to Nehemiah after he prays in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, early the following spring. In the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. And so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. 
And then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king asked, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. I love this because, listen, after you pray, it's time to go to work. And you wait until God begins to open the doors. Nehemiah prayed, and then it was sometime in between his prayer. Didn't happen all at once. But because he was focused, he was ready, and when the day came, he stayed in contact with heaven even before he spoke. It says he uttered a prayer to God, and then he spoke, and God used him to change the future. And I believe that God heard Nehemiah's prayer and used a non-Jewish king to open the door for a new future to begin. Listen, when you are burdened or bothered, don't take it as a bad thing. Take it as a good thing. Because a burden is the birthplace of a vision. The fact that you're bothered means that there's the beginning of a vision. Because there's a tension means it's the beginning of a vision. Something good and new can come out of this. If you partner with the Lord and put it together, God will bring a vision out of it. If you try to accomplish it some other way, and you try to be bothered and share it with other people, all you end up doing is spilling up the junk inside your heart and you hurt other people. It's like passing a virus. But what if instead we take our, our stuff that we don't like and we bring it before the Lord? And then we wait on him for the vision that he wants to put in our life. And then he walks through the doors, Nehemiah did, that God opens. You and I can envision a different and a new year for our families, for our future. What is a possibility that comes out of the burden or the fear for you this fall? Perhaps you're afraid. I don't want worry to overwhelm you. Don't allow yourself to run by worry take it to the Lord. Fears can prevent you from dreaming and having vision. So why not release all your fears to the one who swallows them up? Say this to the Lord. In fact, I want you to repeat after me. Say this. I'm not going to quit. Say it again. I'm not going to quit. Say, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. You're going to be able to see these city walls, and I want you to Say this after me. Say, please give me a vision beyond what I see. Please give me a vision beyond what I can see. Please give me a vision beyond what I see. Please give me a vision beyond what I see. Please give me a vision beyond what I see. Please give me a vision beyond what I see. Lord, let me get beyond the moment that I'm in and get caught up with the vision that you have to lift the family, the community, the life around me so that I'm not caught up in what everybody else is caught up in. Take it to the Lord. He's the best partner for vision. Today we're gonna to observe communion on all of our campuses. And I'm excited about it because when we come to Jesus, he gives hope to us repeatedly. When Jesus uh, gave the first communion, if you will, with his disciples, it was the Last Supper. One of the things was is that he had a group of people around the table that didn't like each other. They had a lot of different opinions. They fought with each other. It sounds like the church sometimes. 
lot of different perspectives. That's the beauty of the church. Our, our complexity and our diversity actually is Jesus' vision. It's okay. But what held people that were opposites together? The blood and the body of Jesus. That's what held us together. In the middle of all the chaos going on that you read on your timelines and news you hear and people are talking about stuff, you could lose heart. The only thing that's gonna pull you back together again is the body and the blood of Jesus. And when we get together, we believe his presence is here. His presence is with you. His presence is in the house. His presence is wherever two or three are gathered together in his name. And we believe he's gonna be here today. But before we have communion, I wanna give an opportunity that is the best opportunity ever for people who do not know Jesus who have not given their life to him or surrendered or received the new life that Jesus has talked about, or perhaps people that long ago walked away from Jesus and it's time to come home. So before we participate at the table, I want to invite people to a relationship with God and one that's based on his righteousness and what Jesus has done. And when we come to him, he's the one that makes us new. We can't do it on our own, and this is your opportunity to give your life to Jesus. He takes imperfect things and he has a vision for your life and he paid for your future by dying on a cross. I want you to close your eyes on all of our campuses right now. If you're under the sound of my voice, I don't know every person, I don't know your life, I don't know your story, but I do know this, the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus died for literally everyone on the planet. That he knows you at your worst and he died for you. And today you have an opportunity, no matter what you've done, what you've gone through, no matter your state of mind, to surrender to Jesus and be made new. This is your opportunity, and I want to pray with you. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I want, to, I, I want you to have faith to take the step to receive the free gift of the eternal life, but relationship with Jesus right now. Don't push it off to some future day. This is your moment to give your life to Christ. And if that's you... I just want you to repeat this prayer out loud after me and talk to the Lord. And everybody else, you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to earth. You died on the cross for my sin. And then you rose from the dead. And I know you're alive. Today, I give up. I surrender to you. Would you become my leader? I will be your follower for the rest of my life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise in the house of Emmanuel. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel today. To learn more about the ministries Emmanuel offers, check out emmanuelcc.org. That's emmanuelcc.org. There, you will also find past messages from our Sunday services for you to view. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast so they may enjoy next week at this same time.